It certainly is true that if taxes go up uh, in a town that has a democratic form of government like town meeting, it means people have decided to do it for themselves. No bureaucrat decided to do this and tax them. Hello there and welcome again to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Peter DeRico, a member of the Select Board in Leverett, Massachusetts, joins Chris this week. Peter's also chairman of the town's broadband committee. We first noticed Leverett, a town of only about 2,000 people, in the spring of 2012. The community was plagued by unreliable wireline telephone service and horrible cell phone coverage. Residents relied on dial-up, satellite, and DSL for internet access. In fact, about 6% of the population had no internet access at all. Community leaders, including Peter, knew they had to act or risk being left even further behind. Over the past two years, the town has worked toward deploying its own fiber-to-the-home network to serve every home and business in the community. People in Leverett decided to fund the project with a slight increase in property taxes. As Peter explains in the interview, the move will actually save money for subscribers because current rates for inferior service are so high. This small town in Massachusetts is a powerful example of how one local community exercised its own self-reliance to establish a necessary service. Here are Peter and Chris. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Peter DeRico from Leverett, Massachusetts. He's a member of the Select Board and Chairman of the Broadband Committee for an exciting project. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. We've been following your project for a long time. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Leverett, uh, Western Mass, where you're located, and uh, what the situation is with broadband in that area? Uh, Chris, the uh, town of Leverett itself is actually not dissimilar for most of Western Massachusetts. It's a little more densely populated. populated. Uh, it's hilly. Uh, there are about 30 five miles of roads, uh, just under 2,000 people, 800 households. Uh, we have a uh, terrain that has never been adequately served by cell towers. There's a, uh, one cell tower currently planned by AT&T that'll serve a, a highway going through town. So we've had very little of what people would consider normal uh, in many other places of the country. Uh, for regular broadband access, there's a tiny corner of the town that has Verizon DSL service at the, about a 3 megabit down and something like uh, less than a megabit up. Uh, and that was installed just as we began to be interested in broadband build-out as a municipal project. And it took us from a technically unserved area to a technically underserved area, but it certainly doesn't serve very many people. Most people in town rely on satellite either HughesNet or the Wild Blue uh, system. And, of course, anybody that's used satellite knows that there's a problem of latency as well as the uh, bandwidth caps. Uh, some people still use dial-up, and actually there are probably 20% of the people that don't have any Internet access uh, at home. So that's the atmosphere or the context in which we began thinking about broadband uh, that grew out, actually, of a state investigation of uh, Verizon voice quality, uh, that the town was a party to. So people began saying, well, why are we stopping with just thinking about uh, voice? We need to put the whole thing together and think about telecom. And that began the long process now about four years or so uh, of us taking this on as a municipal infrastructure project, which is uh, where we're now, what we're now in the midst of with an actual fiber to the home build. 
one of the things that's challenging for a community of your size in, in tackling an infrastructure project is you don't really get the benefit of much larger towns of any economies of scale. So in a second, we'll talk about the fiber project. But first, I'm really curious, how does a town like Leverett finance uh, something like this? The first step was that we were part of a kind of a uh, response to the build-out by the state of the so-called Middle Mile, the Massachusetts Broadband Institute Middle Mile, that connected the, the closest point of presence, which was about 30 miles away from us, to a number of different locations in town. Every town in western Massachusetts has at least one, well, I would say probably at least two or three, uh, called community anchor institutions, where there's now a point of presence from that MBI Middle Mile project. So that's what made it possible for us to even conceive of this. There's no way we would have been able to build on our own a 30-mile fiber link uh, to Springfield, Mass., which is where it, uh, it will connect. Um, so when the middle mile was underway, we started figuring out how we would do the last mile, and we decided that it's uh, looking at it as a matter of municipal infrastructure, that it should be treated the same way we would treat roads, schools, fire department, police, uh, et cetera, and that is that it's built out of the tax base. And we did uh, a lot of homework, a lot of community outreach. We had a committee of uh, people with real expertise, not just cheerleaders for broadband, people who had been involved with capital projects, with telecom networks at the uh, nearby university, um, people who worked for uh, uh, project development in uh, large corporations. These people lived in town, and we uh, put them on a committee and uh, explored the way in which we could build on top of that uh, uh, infrastructure that would be a tax-financed infrastructure, build a system that would be, in terms of operation and maintenance, uh, would be paid out of subscriber revenue. And so that's where we are. We had a, a bond, general obligation tax bond of uh, $3.6 million authorized by our town meeting. We still have that uh, real old-style open town meeting here, uh, one of the last, actually, in the area. Uh, and the uh, bond issue passed 90% vote. We needed three quarters. And then the subsequent vote, uh, because of tax laws in Massachusetts, 83.5% uh, on a larger turnout. So we had strong support for the concept of broadband as infrastructure. Uh, to jump to ahead to the next piece, the Massachusetts law provides something called a municipal light plant, which has the capacity not just to produce power but to uh, construct telecom facilities, and we uh, created such an entity by, again, a town meeting vote, and that entity, the municipal light plant, once the, the uh, infrastructure is built, once the fiber optic network is built, that entity takes custody of it and operates it and maintains it, and the cash flow there does not come from taxes. It comes from the people who subscribe. They pay a bill, or they will pay a bill. We're not up and running yet. They'll pay a bill that will include uh, the uh, price uh, for services of telephone and Internet to the ISP. We will contract with an ISP, a third party. We're not becoming an ISP. Uh, and that ISP will serve everybody. It's not an open access network. But in addition to those uh, fees, they will pay a fee that will cover the costs of running and maintaining the network. So each subscriber will get a bill that includes partly their own services and partly the shared cost of running the network. That's the, the financial structure. So as a, as a person living in Leverett, if I'm not subscribed to the network, then I would not pay anything. 
but if I do take service, then I will have a bill that will have two different pieces in it. You will pay something in your tax bill. You'll pay for this just like if you have no kids, but you're going to pay the taxes for the uh, for the school, or uh, you don't have a car and you're going to pay taxes to keep the roads paved. So that's what I mean by municipal infrastructure. The cost of building the network and connecting it uh, to the Internet and connecting it to every premise or every household in town, that cost is borne out of the tax base. So everybody's paying for that. But uh, that's not the same as paying for services. There's no, no additional fee paid. The, the property taxes have gone up a bit, but if you're a subscriber to the network, then are, you're paying more for the costs of having built that network than your neighbor who is not getting services. Is that right? That's absolutely right, yeah. So I found that to be really interesting, and, and the, the overall property tax increase was quite low. Do you, do you have an average number of what it, how it impacted people? The projections we have from the bond banker uh, put together with uh, the town, town treasurer's uh, work says that the median uh, household uh, property tax would go up by $300 a year for 20 years. Uh, and one of the things that allowed us to sell that was the anticipation of many people that they're going to take the service and that what they're going to end up with is a savings on what they're currently paying. For example, I now pay $90 a month for the highest class of satellite service I can get, and I pay about $60 a month for the phone service I have, so a total of 150 a month. The cost of services we're projecting uh, is going to be uh, somewhere less than $80 for phone and uh, internet, which means that I will be saving $80 a month on the services cost, and that is, uh, I'll be saving more than I'm spending on the additional tax increase. It means if you are subscribing and you currently have internet and telephone service, you're most likely going to be saving money when the end of the year comes around, the out-of-pocket for the tax being more than made up by the savings on the services. That makes a lot of sense. I think you explained it well. And I'll just add that I know in Western Mass there's been a situation with property values for people who don't have access. And frankly, I would expect that the benefits to that were going to be far in excess of the numbers that you've already talked about. Yes, and as a matter of fact, that's one of the key issues that drove this is that People without, well, not people, since the whole town is in the same boat, uh, the people who have apartments to rent or whole houses to rent or trying to sell their homes were, are continually stymied by the lack of access. The, there are a number of people uh, who run up small apartments in town in their sort of accessory apartment in their house who have had for years a stable flow of graduate students from the university uh, who can be tenants, but in the last few years that has dropped markedly because there are very, very few students who are willing to take a house that does not have internet access, fast internet access. So the real estate market and the, the uh, rental market are both being enhanced by this. One of the things that I really love about Leverett is I think it shows how a community that chooses to tax itself to build this infrastructure can go about doing it. In the sense that a lot of times when the opponents of these projects want to paint projects as bad or try to get people to, to think negatively about them, they'll accuse them of using taxpayer dollars, which is frustrating because most municipal fiber projects haven't actually used taxpayer dollars. But I think Leverett clearly shows a way in which increasing your property taxes can materially benefit you significantly in all other aspects of your life. Yes, I think it's really interesting at a time when uh, the larger national conversation was often swamped by people saying government can't do anything 
uh, that uh, people in a small town, and this is, you know, there's that Yankee conservatism. It's not like this is a town that's willing to throw money at everything. That uh, a town would say, we think government can do something and we're willing to pay for it. And it certainly is true that if taxes go up uh, in a town that has a democratic form of government like town meeting, it means people have decided to do it for themselves. No bureaucrat decided to do this and tax them. And that certainly is more power over the, the uh, situation than they get when they're dealing with some uh, corporate entity that says, well, we're not government, we're private, but we have total control over what you're going to pay and you have nothing to say about it. And speaking of the the market system, it's it's interesting. There's incentives for people to encourage their neighbors and friends to sign up, because the more people that take service, the lower everyone's bill's going to be because of the way you structured how you pay for the infrastructure. And I thought that was a very interesting approach. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's similar to what the Google neighborhood concept does: is you encourage your friends to do it. Not in this case, not to actually get the thing installed, but as you say, uh, to reduce the cost for everybody. It becomes a more widely shared cost. And so to be clear, you, this is a network that, that you've committed to. You've figured out a way of financing it. Has, have you broken ground on building it? Uh, we actually have. We're uh, in the process of installing there somewhere around half of the house drops, you know, the connection from the distribution line to the house uh, with the optical network terminals being installed on the house. The distribution line itself has not been installed because we're just about a week or so away from getting the final pole licenses from what's called Make Ready, where the pole owners, the utility company and the phone company, have got their wires moved into proper position so there's the code required space for the fiber line to move through. Uh, we are um, very close to having the electronic shelters done. We have two points of presence we're building in town where the last mile network in town will connect to that middle mile I was talking about. So yes, we've broken ground in a number of different ways. It's, it's in process and our aim has been to, since the beginning, to get this thing lit by the end of the year. And every last person who's in Leverett uh, is able to take service if they want from the network? Yep, every house. We originally had thought about fiber to the curb, but very quickly uh, realized that if you build a fiber to the curb, you still don't have a working network. And if you don't have a working network, you really don't have any business plan because you have no basis to get revenue. So that building fiber to the home means when it's done, you have a network that you can begin to generate revenue from. We have a third-party ISP. We also have a third-party network operator. The town is not trying to operate this, not trying to provide the Internet services. We simply built the infrastructure, and we're contracting with private uh, or third-party entities, I guess I should say, to do the uh, network operation and the uh, service uh, providing, but if you don't have a fiber to the premise, uh, then you also don't have any business plan to uh, attract those third parties. The, the uh, need for a third party to come in when there's no connection to the premise means that party is going to have to put up capital or do some kind of incenting to say, you know, let people, you know, get people to sign up so that they can provide them services. A lot of that design thinking early on when we tried to figure out the goal when we're done is to have an infrastructure that's a working network. How did you go about attracting partners? We did the RFP process uh, for the ISPs. We just issued a request for proposals. We evaluated them. We selected one. We interviewed people and selected one. Uh, and for the network operator, uh, we did a kind of parallel process. This is with the municipal light plant that I mentioned. The legislation in Massachusetts that allows that entity to be created also allows what's called intergovernmental agreements 
So we uh, made an intergovernmental agreement. We negotiated with another municipal light plant in the city of Holyoke, Holyoke Gas and Electric. They have been running a fiber network for about 15 years, providing business class service to uh, a variety of businesses in Holyoke, Springfield, Chicopee, and various other um, town, uh, cities and towns in the area. And they have the capacity to uh, operate a network, and we're willing to take on an additional chunk of network. Excellent. We actually did a, an interview with Holyoke a, a number of episodes ago. You noted that you had DSL available in area of town, and there was no cable network. Uh, I'm curious how the national broadband map represented your community. Did it, did it get the, an accurate picture? My own opinion is that those maps are, are worthless. When we first started looking at this, we were wondering about the category unserved, underserved, uh, because those were affecting what kinds of funding we could expect to attract if we tried to attract it from uh, uh, federal money or otherwise. Uh, so an easy place to start was those maps, and immediately became obvious that they don't mean anything because they said that we have broadband access all over town. And uh, it's just, in, in town, it's sort of a joke. We, you know, we name, uh, you know, Rat Hollow Road, you know, some strange names, Rattlesnake Gutter. Uh, these roads all show on the map as being uh, well covered by uh, cell service. And, uh, of course, you can, the name is sort of, they're, they're real names, but you can make a joke out of it But because there's absolutely no way you're going to get any communication in those places. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I think it's, there's a lot of interesting lessons for other communities, particularly small communities. Uh, so thank you for sharing those. Well, you're welcome, Chris. For more details on the project, follow the Leverett tag at muninetworks.org. The town website also offers a large amount of information about the project. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. We want to thank Waylon Thornton for the music. The song is called Bronco Romp, and it's licensed using Creative Commons. 